I played basketball in high school and in middle school. And, you know, and, and you can say that it's the game that matters and you can give 100% like he said he did. But there are people that give 100% that are really bad at basketball. And if you know them, they are a danger not only to themselves, but to the others that are out there. So you can say that the game is what, is, you know, I live and die for the game. I live, but if you give 100% at something you are awful at, <laughs> you can still be stinky. I mean, the point is, he fluffed off the question, didn't really answer it, but practice really is a big deal. Uh, in the book of 1 John, John is actually uh, dealing with some people specifically in the area of practice and what they're practicing and what they're, practi- they're, what they're about, all these different questions. And he's addressing people that have this thought that Jesus did not come in the flesh, but he just came as a spirit or a phantom. He didn't have anything to do with flesh because flesh is evil, so Jesus couldn't have anything to do. He couldn't put flesh on. And so they had this idea that Jesus just came as a spirit, Because that is what mattered. And so John is addressing these people and saying, no, Jesus came. I walked with him. I talked with him. I put my hands on him. I ate with him. You know, all these different things. And you might think, well, why is it such a big deal that they're trying to separate Jesus from coming in the flesh? It's a big deal because they were also trying to separate that somehow you could spiritually be righteous, but not physically live it out in your everyday life. Like they were saying that you could do whatever you wanted morally, you could practice whatever you wanted morally, but as long as you were spiritually righteous, then everything was okay. And John was addressing this issue going, no, that is not okay. And what I want you to see is you'll see on the screen, 1 John chapter 3, you can read along with me, you don't have to read out loud, but, but follow the words, it says, little children, make, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil. For the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose, to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin, because his seed abides in him. He cannot sin because he's born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God nor the one who does not love his brother. I think that the word practice is specifically used by the Holy Spirit as he penned his, God's word through the Holy Spirit. I believe practice is such a key word for you and I to grasp this morning because I think it answers a lot of questions for me about living the Christ follower's life. And, and you're gonna see two definitions, two things that practice actually implies on the screen. The first one is to practice is it is a frequently repeated or customary action. Basically, it's your thing. What you practice, that's your thing. You're good at it, it's what you do. You're constantly getting better at it. You're just, it's just your thing. It's your practice. It's customary. It's what you do. It's a habitual um, attitude. It's something you do over and over. And what John is saying is that there are people in the church that are practicing, that are frequently repeating or becoming customary action to righteousness, and there are some that are frequently repeating or customary actions to sin. And that is a big difference between the two. There's a very big difference. The second thing that practice implies, and you'll see this on the screen as well, is to perform or work at repeatedly so as to become skilled at. So, Practice suggests that you are doing this to get better at something. Practice suggests that you are doing what you're doing to get better at something. 
I don't know, for some of you, maybe there are a lot of things that come naturally to you. There are some things that come naturally to me, but there are a lot of things in life that I need practice at. When we were in Wichita several years ago, Shannon and Sherry, myself, and Doreen and Miles, and a couple other people went on this venture to uh, open a coffee shop. And so before we opened the coffee shop, we had this barista come in, barista, come in and, um, I love that word, and could come in and, and train us on how to make good coffee drinks. And so he showed us the espresso machine, and it was a big deal, and it was steaming the milk and frothing it and tamping down the espresso and all that different stuff. And I was watching him. I was like, oh, man, yes, I'm so ready to do this. Just give me a chance. Just let me get behind there and get on that machine. And I made my first drink, and he stayed back there, and, and he was the kind of the taste tester. And I handed it to him, and I was like, oh, yes, this is going to be awesome. And he took a drink, and I didn't even have to ask him how it tasted because his face was one of these. And so if someone makes that face about a drink that you just made, you don't even have to ask, how did it taste? I recognized that it wasn't good. And, but it, over time, I got better and I, I kept practicing and it became one of those things where it was kind of the frequent or repeated action and it became something I was good at. Another thing I needed to practice at was when Zeke was born, when my first son was born, it took me 15, 20 minutes it felt like to change a diaper. I don't know, if you've had a little boy, you know when you come home from the hospital, there's many different things that you have to do when you change a little boy's diaper. You've got to make sure the umbilical cord is dry. You've got to put the ointment on this and do this and don't do this and, don't, and all this stuff. And you're like, ooh, I got it on my finger. And you're rubbing it on the end of the thing. And you're, you're doing all those different things that come with changing a diaper. But it seriously took me 15 minutes to change this baby's diaper. But as I kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it, I was like, 13 seconds, world record. I mean, when Jude, when Jude was born, it really wasn't a big deal. I mean, there's still a lot of little steps that you got to do, but it, wasn't, it was something that I was like, oh, yeah, bring this on. This is no big deal. But it was because it became a routine or something that I was trying to get faster at because to spend 15 minutes, and if you change six, seven poopy diapers a day, that's a lot of time changing diapers. But as I got faster at it, it became something that I was just like, Doreen was like, can you change the diaper? I'm like, yeah, whatever. Pow. But it is one of those things when you practice, you get better at something. And what John is suggesting is that there are people practicing righteousness and practicing sin. So listen to, listen to it how it would sound if we just use the phrase working to become skilled at. The one who works to become skilled at righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who works to become skilled at sin is of the devil. No one who is born of God works to become skilled at sin. But, but for me, the question was, okay, so we're supposed to righteousness. That's a big word, and I think there's a lot of confusion about what righteousness is. I think there's a lot of confusion out there, and, and what I, I could have given lots of scriptures, but I don't have time, so I just kind of want to give you a brief, because righteousness is a mystery to me, because it's something in the Bible that we are called to pursue, but it's something that we are given, so it's kind of an interesting mystery, an interesting mix. And that's what I love about Jesus is that it, there's, there's things to me that are still a mystery. But listen to this. We are called to pursue righteousness. 1 Timothy 6.11 says, But you, Timothy, are a man of God, so run from all these evil things. Pursue righteousness in a godly life along with faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Run from anything that stimulates youthful lusts. Instead, pursue righteous living faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the Lord with pure hearts. 
There's something about desiring righteousness. Matthew 5, 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be satisfied. But scripture makes it very clear, first and foremost, that righteousness comes by faith. Romans 1.17 says, The good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Romans 4.5 says, But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. Righteousness is a gift from God. Romans 5.17 says, For the sin of this one man, Adam, caused death to rule over many. But even greater is God's wonderful grace and his gift of righteousness. For all who receive it, this gift of righteousness, will live in triumph over sin and death through this one man, Jesus Christ. In Titus chapter 3, he says this, But when God, our Savior, revealed his kindness and love, he saved us. Not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He washed away our sins, giving us a new birth, a new life through the Holy Spirit. He generously poured out the Spirit upon us through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Because of his grace, he declared us righteous and gave us confidence that we will inherit eternal life. Christ is our righteousness. 1 Corinthians 1 says, But by his doing, by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Here is the deal. We love to boast about how good we are. I don't know if you've talked to people recently, but people love to let you know how good of a person they are. I mean, I don't do bad things. Well, that person, he does bad things, but I don't do it, just, I don't do it as much as him. Or those people that are on TV, they do bad things, but I don't do it as much as them. And we like to say, oh, well, I'm a good person. And that we do all of these things to promote ourselves. But God knew that we are very big self-promoters. And so he took care of it and said, you know what? I'm going to give you something that you don't have on your own. I'm going to use the big theological word is he imputed righteousness to us. That means that he credited to us something that we did not have. We had nothing to do with it, but he credited it to us because of his grace and his mercy. He gave us righteousness in Christ himself. That is huge. That is a very big deal. And so when I look at this and I, and I think about the whole thing of practice and what do we practice? Why are we practicing something if we've already been given something? Why do we practice the, the very thing that we are supposed to be have received and given by God? Billy Corgan, the lead singer of Smashing Pumpkins, again, I'm not sure if he, he was the one who coined this phrase, but he says, if practice makes perfect and nobody's perfect, then why practice? That's what he says. And it's, it's interesting because two people, and because two people came up to me and shared this with me after the first service, I think I have to share it with you. They said that in their minds, the, the word that they heard was that practice doesn't make perfect. It doesn't. But practice does make permanence. 
what you practice, you will become permanently good at. It's one of those things. It just happens. So if you want to be good at sin, keep practicing sin. If you want to be good at not listening to the Lord's direction, keep practicing ignoring him. If you want to practice righteousness and begin to see the love of Christ just flow out of you, man, imagine that. Imagine if we got good at practicing righteousness. But it's interesting, the reason we practice, I think, is key. The reason, I think, is key because so many people have a warped and twisted view as to why we practice. There's a view that we've got to practice because we've got to earn it. I mean, I grew up at at a church where I heard uh, the senior adults in the church say all the time, well, I'm just trying to do my part to pay back my Savior. I'm like, you can't pay him back. (laughs) And if you work with that mentality, it's just going to kill you. You and I of our own can't do enough to pay back God, Jesus, whatever he did on the cross. We cannot pay him back. We cannot earn it. That is why it is called a gift. And if you walk with the mentality that, man, I'm going to pay him back. I'm just doing my duty. I'm paying him back for what he did. That's the wrong place to start from. But here's where I believe John calls us to look. 1 John 2.29 says, Once you're convinced that he is right and righteous, you'll recognize that all who practice righteousness are God's true children. When you are convinced that there is nothing greater than the cross of Christ and the the sacrifice that he made and the debt that he paid and taking it all, taking the, the death that we so rightly deserved, he took it all, when you are convinced that that is everything, you begin to recognize why you practice. Why loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself is a reasonable thing for God to ask of us. You begin to wrestle with that and go, wow, the cross of Christ is huge. I will practice living like Jesus lived. When you see Christ for who he really is, your practicing becomes an outflow of who you are. Your practicing doesn't define you because Christ defines you. Christ, your identity, according to Scripture, is hidden in Christ. And out of that relationship, you practice righteousness. You desire to live as Jesus lived. Jesus made it very clear that in in, in his stories, he said, the one who hears the words that I speak and puts them into what? Practice is a wise man. There's a difference between just sitting in here getting a whole bunch of head knowledge and walking out and not putting it into practice. It's very interesting because I had some friends in high school. I went to a big high school in Atlanta and every year for basketball when tryouts came around, my friends would be like, Jason, this is my year to make the team. And I'd be like, "Mm mm-hmm. No, you're not going to make the team. I mean, I'd encourage them, like, yeah, you're good. You know, just one of those things to be the nice friend. But my friends had a way of they would wear the shoes, they would wear the shorts, the long shorts, they wear the jersey, the newest one, whatever came out, they wear the wristband, the arm, ba- the elbow band, the headband, the, the nose band, the ear band, whatever band there was, whatever was popular at the time, they looked the part. They looked like they could play ball. But when it came to tryouts, man, after tryouts were done, I'm sitting here going, what planet are these guys on? 
I mean, not only, I mean, and after they were cut, it was always an excuse. My coach is an idiot, or you know what? My mom brought me my wrong shoes that day. She brought me the wrong shoes. My, it was the Reebok pumps I wanted, not the Nikes this today, because my game was off. It threw my shot off. I was jumping too high. You know, it was always an excuse that they came up with for their lack of practice, conditioning, discipline, whatever it was. And it showed when they came onto the court. I had a friend who, amazingly, I am not sure how he did this. I think my coach was just amused by him. Uh, he convinced my coach to allow him to try out after the team had already been picked. And he let him come to a practice. And we practiced at 5.30 in the morning every day before school. And I show up and we're stretching. And I mean, coach's mentality was if you're on time, you're late. So you get there early, that kind of thing. You're sitting, we're stretching. We're a couple minutes into stretching and coach is having us get ready. And I'm looking around going, he's not here. Maybe he chickened out. Well, we're in the middle of stretching, and he comes walking in, in pajama pants, and in basketball shoes, a tank top wife beater, and he's holding a cup of Quick Trip coffee. I mean, if you've lived in Atlanta, you know Quick Trip's there, they're really nice gas stations. But he comes walking in with this Quick Trip coffee, comes walking in. I was like, oh my gosh, I'm so embarrassed right now, because my coach knew it was my friend, and and and. We did one sprint, one set of sprints, back and forth. Next thing I knew, he was laid out in the bleachers. One set of sprints. You know, I had another friend who, while I was practicing in my driveway, he would just come over and we would just continue to practice. We would shoot together, we would dribble together, we would do all sorts of different drills together, trying to get better. He never talked trash, he never talked to anybody about how good he was. But man, in the three years that he kept coming over to my house, I noticed a huge, huge change in his game. He got so much better. But what was very interesting was by the way that he lived his life, by the way he practiced with me, I knew what game he wanted to play. I knew he wanted to play basketball. Now this other cat with the coffee and the shoes and the pajama pants, I had no idea what he was trying to do. He talked like he wanted to play. But his work ethic, his practice, all that different stuff, his discipline showed another story. And that is a very difficult thing for us to deal with because I believe that when you and I are in practice mode, when we are practicing righteousness, it lets people know basically whose team we're on, what game we're playing. You know, when I practiced shooting free throws, I didn't make every free throw. I definitely did not make every free throw. But when people looked at me, they knew I was practicing basketball. I guess the question that John is presenting here is when people look, because the words you say and the life that you live, is it matching up? You claim that you're righteous, but your actions don't show it. And so John is addressing these people who are going, you know what, I'm righteous. Spiritually, I'm righteous, but physically, I can do whatever I want. John's like, no, that is not the case. He goes on to talk about some other practicing that's going on. People not just practicing righteousness, but there are people practicing sin. They are getting better at sin. Sin is becoming their normal thing. It's becoming their custom, their, their habitual attitude. It's, a, it's something that they keep doing over and over. 1 John 3, 6 says this, No one who lives deeply in Christ makes a practice of sin. None of those who do practice sin have taken a good look at Christ. They've got him all backwards. I love that verse. I love it because it's when you get an accurate view of who Jesus is, when you go, 
wow, the cross of Christ is huge. What he did is gigantic. What he did is, it changed history. It changes everything. When you get a view of who Christ is and what he really did, you can't help but go, wow. You can't help but go, whether it's falling on your face or on your knees, and go, Lord, help me to live the love that you have shown me. I'm not worthy of it. I don't deserve it. And there are people that are in my life right now that they don't deserve my love, but help me to live out Jesus in front of them. Those are huge words. And John says that those who make a practice of sinning, the love of God does not live in them. He says that if you are someone who says you love God, but you hate your brother, you are a liar. Those are, those are line drawn in the sand words. To say that you love your brother, whom you have seen, To say that you love him, but you don't, that is huge. And John says, if you say you love God, whom you, whom you haven't seen, and you don't love your brother, whom you have seen, you're a liar. That's big. Listen to the words of Paul in Romans. In Romans chapter 6, he says this, Sin is no longer your master, for you are no longer subject to the law, which enslaves you to sin. Instead... You are free by God's grace. And we love God's grace. We love that. But listen to where he goes. So since God's grace has set us free from the law, does this mean we can go on sinning? Of course not. Romans 5. So just as sin ruled over all people and brought them to death, now God's wonderful kindness rules instead, giving us right standing with God and resulting in eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Well then, should we keep on sinning so that God can show us more and more kindness and forgiveness? An attitude that I believe is really, really present today. Of course not. Since we have died to sin, how can we continue to live in it? Scripture suggests that if you are in this room and you see the grace of God and the mercy of God as a license to sin, that is not saving faith. That is tough. If your attitude is, I'm going to go sin, and I'm going to ask him for forgiveness, it's all good. Scripture suggests that that is not saving faith. Those are very hard words. That is a very stern warning. But here's the deal. We talked about it. Warnings are a good thing. Yeah, there's some things that they say you can't do, but it protects you, it keeps you from driving off a cliff when the bridge is out, all those different things. But a warning is a very good thing. 1 John 3.8 says this, Those who make a practice of sin are straight from the devil. The pioneer in the practice of sin, the Son of God, entered the scene to abolish the devil's, way, the devil's ways. 1 John 5.18 says, We know that those who have become part of God's family do not make a practice of sinning. For God's Son holds them securely, and the evil one cannot get his hands on them. And I want to make a very clear distinction here because I feel like it, 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 it's needed. There's a very big difference between someone who practices sin and someone who struggles against sin. 
In no way does John suggest in 1 John that we, as Christ followers, are going to be sinless. In no way does he suggest that. But listen to Paul's word in Romans 7. He says, I don't understand myself at all. I don't know if this sounds like some of you, but it sounds like me. I don't understand myself at all. For I really want to do what is right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do the very thing I hate. If that's you, and man, you've been in, you've had this, you, you've been walking down the street, you're like, yeah, I love Jesus, I love Jesus, I love Jesus. I get in my car and I'm driving. Moron! Where did that come from? I have this theory, and I know it's way theologically incorrect, but I have this theory that my car is like a Holy Spirit force field. He can't get in there because I act like a demon when I'm in my car. But it makes me go, what? Where did that come from? Here's the deal. When that happens in your life, and you go, what in the world did I just do? That's a very good thing. That is a very good thing. That is God's kindness leading you to repentance. When you have that kind of heart, when you say yes to Jesus, Jesus invades and he automatically gives you a a weapon that is going to cause a division in you. A desire to do what pleases the Lord and a desire to do what pleases the flesh, according to scripture. When you say yes to Jesus, you have a new weapon against sin. And it's a heart that goes, I want to do nothing but glorify God with it. But yet there's this stuff I've got to deal with. It's flesh, it's attitudes, it's, it's thoughts, it's words, it's actions, all these different things. But it's very clear that this Christ follower's walk is a struggle against sin. Those of you that have placed your faith in Christ, you are free from the penalty of sin, which is death. But you are not free from the struggle of sin. Sin is going to be at your doorstep. Hello? But we now have an advocate. 1 John, 8, 1 John 1 says this. If we say we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves and refusing to accept the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from every wrong. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar. And showing that his word has no place in our hearts. Notice that John uses the word we, our, and us. He's including himself, a saint, in this. If we say we're without sin, if we say we're perfect, we're calling God a liar. John is not suggesting that you will be without sin. You're free from the penalty of sin and death. But there is a struggle that will continue to go on till the day you enter into eternity. But praise be to God that those of us in this room who have given our lives to Christ to say, you know what, Jesus, I trust that you forgave my sins. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to practice righteousness. I may not get it right 100% of the time, but Lord, I am going to fight to keep my eyes on the cross. 1 John 2, 1 says this, my little children... I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for those of the whole world.
How does hearing we have an advocate hit your heart today? How does hearing the words that if and when you do sin, you have an advocate? You have someone who is a go-between. You have that one who was given to us as righteousness, imputed righteousness. You have someone who was credited you who can't do righteousness on your own. You have been credited righteousness because God said, I'm going to make my son it. He's it. So how does that, how do we as believers respond to the fact that we have an advocate? I think there's several ways that you can respond. There's many people in this room, and so you could respond to it many ways. You could hear the words, I have an advocate, and think, well, I have an advocate. Own with the sinning. And according to Scripture, if that's your attitude, that is not saving faith. You may be in here, and maybe your, your opinion to the advocate is, Man, I have been gro- I've been growing indifferent to sin. I, really don't really, I haven't really thought about being holy or worldly. It just doesn't matter to me. Maybe hearing that you have an advocate would cause you to wake up to the battle against sin and run to the cross. Maybe you're in this room and you're one who's gone, you know what? You've gone overboard with the acts of righteousness because you have done nothing but begin to focus on your works. And in some way, that is going to gain you favor with the Lord. It's not. He's already fully displayed His love for us on the cross. You have the love of the Father in Christ. Some of you in this room may be so focused on your outward actions that you have forgotten about Him. Some of you may be so consumed with what you're doing on the outside that you have forgotten about the being in a relationship with Christ. You're so caught up in doing that you miss the being. And I believe that the advocate can awaken the heart of all those in this room. I believe that the point of the advocate is to keep us focused on the cross. And maybe you would be in this room today going, Man, I have kind of grown indifferent to sin. I really don't care about holiness. I really don't care about what, you know, all those things. Fix your eyes on the cross. Maybe you're one who has just gone, oh my goodness. <laughs> I have been doing nothing but focusing on my works. And I've forgotten about the relationship that I have with the creator of the universe. Fix your eyes on the cross. That's what I love about it. It's the same I hate to use the word solution, but it it, it ultimately is. He is our righteousness, and because our being is found in Him, our doing will reflect it. It's just that simple. Because our being is found in Him, our doing will reflect that. That's why I love the word practice. Because you and I both know we don't get it right 100% of the time. But my prayer is when people look at you, hopefully they know what team you're playing for. They know what sport you're playing. They know that your aim is to please the king. When you get it wrong, you're quick to repent. You're quick to ask for forgiveness. You're quick to forgive. And you fix your eyes back on the cross. This morning we're going to close with a time of communion and some, some time of worship.
But before we do that, I want you to hear these words from 1 John. 1 John chapter 3. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Hear this. Our actions will show that we belong to the truth. It doesn't say our actions will earn us. It doesn't say that our actions are gaining us. It says that our actions will show that we belong to the truth. So we will be confident when we stand before God, even if we feel guilty, God is greater than our feelings and He knows everything. How does your heart respond to you have an advocate? Maybe you're one that's been in this room and you're like, I don't know if I have, I don't know the advocate, I don't know anything about this and this is your first time here. The invitation is the same for you. Fix your eyes on the cross because it's when you are fully convinced that he is who he says he is that righteousness becomes a reasonable act of service. Doing the right thing as Miss Sue so well put. In a few minutes, you're going to see some, some people around the room with some plates and some cracker bread and a, and a cup with some juice in it. And what we are doing as Christ followers is we are proclaiming, when we take that cracker bread and dip it in the juice, we are proclaiming that we have turned to Christ for the forgiveness of our sin. We're not proclaiming anything else. We're not saying that I've been, I've been in church my whole life. We're not proclaiming that I'm a good person We're not proclaiming anything other than I have turned to Jesus for the forgiveness of my sin. And so if you're here and maybe you've never done that and maybe somehow this morning the Holy Spirit is just working up faith in you because righteousness comes by faith. It's not by your works. We are talking about practicing righteousness because He is righteousness. To live as Jesus lived. That is what we are remembering. That He paid a price. He bought something. He credited us something that we could not do on our own. So when we take this, that is what we are proclaiming. So feel free to just observe if you still have questions. Parents, use this as an opportunity to teach your children. We have an advocate. I know I'm going to be using that with Zeke and Jude a lot. Daddy screwed up again have an advocate what an incredible reminder through first John through his heart for the church such a tender grandfatherly fatherly place to say when you do sin you have an advocate father we thank you for today we thank you for your heart for your people we thank you that you put into motion all of this stuff We thank you that you gave us Jesus, a righteousness that we didn't deserve. You put it on us in Jesus. So when you see us, you see Jesus. You see righteousness. And Father, may we be practicers of righteousness. God, may we desire to get better at it. May we know how to use the tools, the the, the weapons that you've given us in worship and love and repentance and scripture. May we desire to use the weapons that you've given us and we practice at those. Not because it's going to earn us anything, but because you've already paid the price and you're worth it. Father, thank you.
thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. In your name we pray.